what are the options for a credit union where the first has not initiated foreclosure or, you know, they're maybe early, maybe they've initiated foreclosure, but now the foreclosure is on hold for whatever reason. You know, what options does the holder of the second mortgage have in those situations as they contemplate proceeding forward? I think you probably got about five different options to work through. And this is really coming down to the financial institution, credit and making a business decision, weighing it, how it wants to afford. One option may be if there's a first mortgage out there to just pay it off and get it out of the way. So you can become the superior to worry about dealing with this problem. I think there's concerns or things to think through if you're going around. Welcome to Banking on Credit Unions your leading law podcast dedicated to credit union matters. Hosted by Jim Sorensen from the elite team at SVL Law, where they specialize in collections, bankruptcy, and foreclosure law designed for credit unions. From landmark cases to innovative legal strategies, Banking on Credit Unions podcast is here to shine a light on the legal pathways impacting your credit union. If you want to uncover legal insights designed just for you, listen and join the conversation. Let's get started. Hello, listening audience, and welcome to Banking on Credit Unions. I'm Jim Sorensen, your host, and this week we're going to be discussing second mortgage loans and options for dealing with those loans when they go into default. Joining me today is Steve Orsillo. He's a partner in the law firm here at Sorensen Van Leuven Law Firm, and he heads up our foreclosure area of the law firm. Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jim. Always great to be here with you and talk about what we're talking about today. So looking forward to it. Good. So as we get this discussion going, I want to just make sure we're on the same page and when we're referring to second mortgages that we're all in the in discussing that same thing. What we're talking about here is loans that are in a junior position. So typically these might are going to be either closed in second mortgages or HELOCs. We're not discussing, obviously, a HELOC that is in a first position. So, but, you know, confusion seems to abound when it comes to the rights and options of lenders as it relates to these second mortgages, junior mortgages. You see that a lot, don't you, with our clients and questions we get asked? Yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, just look at the climate we're in or the climate we're coming out of, right? Home values really shot up. And what's one thing that credit unions and financial institutions were pushing, you know, home equity? got all this equity in your home, why don't you go out there and take out a second mortgage, a third mortgage, whatever, you know, and tap into that equity. And then you got money to spend and the credit union or the financial institution makes a loan off of it. But now in some cases, maybe a pretty big loan on the books and maybe they stop paying for whatever reason is the economy, you know, and inflation and everything. And so you do see second mortgages crap up and clients get concerned. You know, hey, what are our options here? There's maybe a first out there concerned about it. And then you think back, 10, 15 years ago, right? Closure crisis, 2008. And that's where we see a lot of second mortgages now too, where everyone tapped into the equity back then, that got wiped away, and then you're left holding a, a second mortgage. And what are you going to do? And is there anything you can do now? Because a lot of them, right, we're talking 15, 20, 30 mortgages. So maybe they're still out there, you know, pretty, you know, do something about it. So these are all things. It's like, what can we Yep. Those are all the questions that we get in this area and we'll dive into those in some more detail, but 
kind of to get started, let's ask the obvious question. And this question is a question that I've gotten a lot over my career. You've probably gotten it as well. Can a lender foreclose when they hold a defaulted second mortgage loan? Of course, as long as they, as long as your second mortgage is, or third mortgage, whatever, is still enforceable, right? It hasn't matured out. You know, we haven't gotten to that point yet or something else weird has happened with that. Yeah. Otherwise, sure. It's no different than, you know, a first mortgage, you know, trying to enforce that. So yeah, can be enforced unless you're running into some odd issue. Yeah. And, and can the lender start foreclosure regardless of the status of the first mortgage? Yeah. I mean, the status of the first makes no difference in, in terms of what your legal rights are to pursue it. Obviously, there may be some business decisions to make there about what you want to. But uh, the fact that there's a first out there does not in any way prevent you from doing your own thing, filing support, but seeking to enforce your lien. Yeah, the, we get that question a lot. I think people believe that somehow because it's a second mortgage, it's dependent upon what happens to the first. And it isn't in the regards to the rights of the lender. I mean, yeah, they, everything right. they do is going to be subject to the lien of the first. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly things to consider, but from a legal standpoint, you could certainly enforce both validly. You know, your option to make in terms of court. So, is there anything unique about the foreclosure process that differs when you're foreclosing on a second mortgage or a junior mortgage, as opposed to foreclosing on a first? Is there something we've got to do different, some different approach? So the process is the exact same, more or less, as it would be for a first mortgage. You gotta wait 120 days. The fall past due 120 days before you can initiate a foreclosure on the second. That's no different than the first. Right? There's limited exceptions there. A very common question. But a second mortgage, same as the first in that respect. And then the process proceeds the same. We're naming parties that are on the loan agreement or that have a, an interest inferior to the second mortgage. Right? If there's other judgment liens or a third mortgage, fourth mortgage, whatever. Right? Those are all. I think we'll include. And, and the process proceeds the exact same as it would your first. Now, does the first mortgage get named in the foreclosure of the second mortgage? The first, um, as is the case in, in any foreclosure action, you can only foreclose out those interested in needed. So there's someone superior, such as a first mortgage, you're not going to name that first mortgage you're taking title, or the foreclosure, I should say, is going to be subject to the first mortgage. So that's something you're going to have to think about and deal with at some point. So, but there's no need to. And, and I think that confuses lenders when they're in the other position, which is they're in the first position. And they find out, hey, the second has foreclosed and there's a foreclosure sale next week. Why didn't we get notice? Yeah. We're the first mortgage holder. And it goes to that same issue, which is you're not entitled to notice if it doesn't impact your lien. Maybe it creates headache, maybe not, but it's certainly not impacting your first mortgage. It's as enforceable as it was if they didn't file. So I can understand that, you know, that some get a little work done. It's really, it's not impacting your lien or your ability to later for but overly. Yeah. And, it, and of course, what we were talking about right there is the foreclosure process in Florida and how that works. Florida being a judicial foreclosure state, it you have this lawsuit and this process since um, I'm licensed in Georgia. We represent clients in Georgia. I just, I want to address this question from the Georgia perspective, which is really the process to foreclose is no different on a second in Georgia than it is on a first. 
It's just we don't have a lawsuit. We we just go through Once the advertising. Order, yeah. Moves a lot quicker. Moves a lot quicker. So there's really no difference either Florida or Georgia when you go to foreclose a second. So I just I want to make that clear for any of the listeners who are dealing with or in Georgia. So what about the foreclosure sale? Is there any difference when you actually get to the sale itself when you're no, it's no different. Obviously, you were keeping in mind, right, that there's a first mortgage out there. This whole thing is going to be subject to, but the sale process is the same. It's going to be a public auction. A majority of them in Florida these days, they're held at an online auction, some website. There's still some, you know, courthouse steps that kind of traditional auction you think about, but the process is the same. Selling to the highest bidder for cash. In some cases, it may be the plant using its credit bid, or it could be a third party. And I think you know, one thing to remember, and this is a common question or concern that come up from the clients is, what about that first mortgage out there, right? Or what about that superior lien? And my response is always, yeah, it's not our concern. The foreclosure sales in Florida, it's pretty clear the law that it's buyer beware. And if you go to an in-person auction, you know, it was one just recently, the clerk will usually make that point as well. Look, you're taking subject to any issues that may exist, buyer beware, you're not getting your money back if you find out there's an issue with resale. You know, in, in a best case scenario, right, a third party is going to come in and buy, yeah, and outbid it and take title. And now they're dealing with the first mortgage. You get your check in the mail and you're done. Mm-hmm. You don't have to make any representations, warranties, disclose anything to anybody that, hey, been in our sale, but there's a first mortgage. There's no need to bring up any of that. Yeah. The process is the same, but just I think the most important thing for clients and credit unions and financial institutions is understand if they're in the situation and you don't have to worry about the first mortgage at this have your sale like normal and the chips fall where they fall. And of course, if the lender does become the buyer at the first mortgage, our buyer, they, if the lender becomes the buyer at the foreclosure sale, they're going to have to deal with the first mortgage then because obviously if they don't, the first couldn't then yeah. foreclose. Foreclose and you're not going to have marketable title, right? Nobody's going to buy a piece of property with a superior lien out there. First mortgage, probably talking about a good chunk of money. So, this is where I think we get the most questions. And so, you know, I kind of want to dive in here and spend a little bit of time. But, you know, what are the options for a credit union where the first has not initiated foreclosure or, you know, they're maybe early, maybe they've initiated foreclosure, but now the foreclosure is on hold yeah. for whatever reason. You know, what options does the holder of the second mortgage have? in those situations as they contemplate proceeding forward. So I think you probably got about five different options to work through. And this is really coming down to the financial institution, the credit union making a business decision, weighing it, how it wants to move forward. You know, one option may be if there's a first mortgage out there to just pay it off and get it out of the way. So you can become the superior to worry about dealing with this problem. I think there's concerns or things to think through if you're going route, obviously. Your mortgage loan documents, you need to look at those or have your lawyer look at them to see what rights you may have. There may be an option there to advance money on the loan, pay off that first mortgage, and in turn become additional indebtedness, right? Accruing interest and all that stuff on the loan. Then in turn, force the member to pay. The member comes forward after that and tries to reinstate or pay off or whatever. You can then account and make them also pay that money as well. But that's something to be careful about because you know, not to get too down in the weeds on it, but the, the loan agreement may indicate that there needs to be 
something taking place that's going to impact your lien. So if the first is starting its foreclosure or it's filed a foreclosure and you want to pay it off, that may be grounds to then say, borrower, you solve this or else work for you and you're going to owe us. It, it can get a little tricky there, but that one is one option to go ahead and pay off the first. Kind of be done with that. Another option could be to purchase the first mortgage. Maybe that's not the most attractive option, but it's one out there. Obviously, you have to get the first to agree to sell their loan. There's no obligation that a credit and financial institution sell its loan or that a first mortgage sell its loan. A potential option where they could sell it to you and take an assignment. The concerns are obviously we're servicing a first mortgage that we don't know much about. Do we really want to put that on our books? And then what if the borrower files bankruptcy? Now we got issues there because we got to service this thing in the bank which may be something, you know, just maybe more worth than anything that it's worth. You know, another option is to just wait out the first mortgage. They're filing foreclosure. You can just sit back and let them go through the process. You know, Florida foreclosures take a long time, whether it's a first or a second. So you may be waiting a little while, go longer than if you foreclose yourself, but you can certainly just wait around a bit. Their foreclosure. If you're interested in trying to get the property, you know, the first is only so much amount of money and then you're owed. Yeah, you can bid an amount more than the point. The first mortgage is an effort to maybe get the property back and turn around and sell it for a profit or maybe reduce your losses. A couple of different ways you can look at that. You know, you could obviously initiate your own foreclosure, right? Which we kind of been talking about. You need to worry about what the first is doing. They start, not started, doesn't matter. Just do, you know, all you got to do is try to beat them to the punch, right? We want to get to a foreclosure sale before they do. We want to get this thing sold before they do. A third party steps in, or perhaps, you know, you get the property back and then you can turn around first. Once your closure sales over, then you own the and sell it. Or you can decide just, we don't want the headache and the hassle and the time of foreclosure. So, you know, clients may do that. And I think it may be wise to do that. The property is, we saw this 10 years ago before, you know, the housing market picked back up, right? A lot of these things were underwater. The first wasn't even enough there, enough. First, so you may just we don't want to deal with the property and just sue them on the new, pursue it like an unsecured loan, so to speak, and then get a money judgment. You can turn around, collect, garnish. Okay, so that's you know, about five different options, and those are things. Obviously, look at your loan documents, but I think these are all options that you know, way and go through and make a business decision. So let's talk about each of these options in a little bit more detail. Do you like what you've heard so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Head on over to svllaw.com and subscribe to our email list to have it delivered right to your inbox. Now back to the show. Let's talk about each of these options in a little bit more detail. I know you touched on a lot here. And if someone listening to this podcast isn't familiar with all these things, it can be a lot and overwhelming. So I want to make sure we kind of expand on that a little bit more. So option one, when you pay off the first prior to completing the foreclosure and, and basically advancing that amount yeah. on your first mortgage. So let's give an example here to give it a little bit of context to the first mortgage, let's say is 200,000 and the second mortgage is 50,000. So you're talking about advancing $200,000 and now a credit union goes from holding a loan that has a balance of 50,000 to holding a loan that has a balance of 250. You know, what are the kind of, when is this appropriate? What are the things that they've got to kind of think through in that scenario? Well, I think you always want to kind of see what's the property worth, what's the value there, there to make it worthwhile to spend all this. Money. 
You don't want to put yourself in the first position by paying off the first. The reality is that you're going to be stuck holding a loan now that's not worth enough. Yeah, so that's obviously concern. There's other concerns I think do in terms. Yeah, the longer these things go on with any loan, the more expensive and more in it, the interest is accruing, the legal fees, court costs, and all those things are accruing. Pay it off sooner. I would see you could afford those additional fees. But again, I think it goes back to making sure that, you know, you're going to get everything you put into it. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times clients will say to me, well, if we wait to pay off the first later, you know, they're going to have their legal fees. They're going to have their court costs, the interest rate on the first mortgage, whatever it is. Usually the first mortgage is a lower interest rate than the second, but yeah. you still have interest accruing on that. You may have late fees, whatever else. And so the concern is, hey, if we pay it off now, we're going to, the payoff's going to be smaller now than it will be in a year from now or whatever, when it reaches the end of the, the, the foreclosure process. But you have obviously, and you touched on this, on the other side, you have the bankruptcy concern, which is something that I think people always have to consider. I mean, a lot of times when borrowers are in bank, are in a foreclosure, they end up going into bankruptcy. Yeah. Typically a chapter 13, we're talking about consumers here. We're talking about residential mortgages and consumer borrowers. So usually we're talking about chapter 13 and chapter 13s are designed for the borrower to be able to save their home, to be able to file bankruptcy, cure the default and be able to continue on with the mortgage. And, and of course the concern there is that if you go ahead and pay off the first, they file bankruptcy. Now you're no longer carrying a $50,000 mortgage, mortgage loan in bankruptcy. You're carrying a 250 and they may be able to cure the defaults and continue to perform under the mortgage. So again, these are obviously things that need to be considered before the credit union just jumps off and advances to 200,000. So, you know, what are, are there any additional considerations in terms of purchasing the first mortgage instead of just advancing and paying off the first mortgage? There's the option that you outlined as option two, they could buy the first mortgage loan. So in essence, take an assignment of the note and mortgage, step into the shoes. Now they don't just have one loan at 250. They now have one loan at 200 and one loan at 50, two loans on their books in two different positions. Yeah. I mean, I think you still have some of the concerns we talked about with, with paying off the first, right? What if they file bankruptcy? And now I've got to service not only my loan, but I've got to service this other loan bankruptcy, which in a 13 could be, you know, 60 months or five years. And so, yeah, there's also the, the way to look at it of more legal court costs and interest, corporate advances, all these things. The first more you just put there as well, but I think you know, kind of having to carry service that loan on your books and then the threat of a bankruptcy concern. Mm -hmm. The real advantage here, probably, and especially in this position over the other, would be in dealing with potential condo association liens yeah. because the first mortgage has a better position when it comes to condo or HOA yeah. fees or liens than a second mortgage. So that may be one situation where we might steer a client towards this option. Yeah. I mean, if you're obviously, you know, there's all sorts of condos and HOAs throughout the state of Florida and some are better than others, right? You may be talking about an elective of courses and all these things where you're paying a substantial portion every month or every quarter, every year to have those amenities. 
you know, HOAs and condos hold liens on all real properties within that association. And their liens generally back to before your mortgage and superior, even a first mortgage. However, as you kind of alluded to, right, there's this safe harbor provision in Florida that the first mortgage holder is only liable for, I think it's 1% of the original mortgage or 12 months of assessment, whichever one's lower there. But if you're a second mortgage, right, like we're talking about, and you foreclose this thing out with a first mortgage out there, you could be jointly and separately liable with the prior owner for all passive assessment. It's something fancy condo down in Miami Beach with, you know, $20,000 in passive assessments, you're up maybe where it's like we're talking about, right? Paying off or assuming the first to step into their shoes and avoid having to pay all this. So yeah, that's certainly an option. So what about option three, waiting on the first to foreclose? I mean, you know, you touched on this, but sometimes that may make sense. But the downside, obviously, is you have no control over how long this process takes. No, I mean, obviously, it's if they haven't started foreclosure um, or if they're paying on the first, that's really not an option, right? And some clients will kind of look at things and go, I don't think they're paying the first, but I'm looking and saying, I don't really see any sign that they're filing. There's no telling some of these first mortgages, particularly large servicers. You know, there's a lot of hands in the cookie jar on the left that know what the right's doing. It takes some time to do stuff, right? And even if they do foreclose, and start, that's going to take time. We see that all the time, right? Delays and, you know, unknown delays. We really can't force them to move their case along any, you know, as fast as we want them to. And so you're, you know, we talked about interest and late fees and attorneys, those, you know, daily interest, right? And think about all these things. So that's, you know, you may want to wait around if it's a first that's moving quick and you just don't want the time and expense and hassle. Is it generally true? And, you know, as a general rule, is it generally true that if you're dealing with a big lender, the Bank of America, the Wells Fargo's of the world, or one of these big law firms, yeah. that they just seem to move slower yeah. than the smaller yeah. lenders? You would think they'd maybe move a little faster, that they would have the resources to put in place, you know, a more efficient way to operate. They can what very slow. The reason behind it, I'm really not sure. But we, but we see that often where yeah. we scratch our head on why is this mortgage still sitting out here? Why is this foreclosure still sitting out here? And we're, you know, I know there's been times where I've handled foreclosures, you've handled foreclosures where we start the second foreclosure way behind the first and we still beat the first to the finish line, so to speak. Yeah. Some of these you look and, you know, I've seen activity in the case for three, four months. And it was like bankruptcy. Something's got to be going on and there's no indication on the document. So, yeah. It is very common with some of Very slow. Yeah. And, and I think we can guide our clients on that as well. We can say, look, this is a big lender. This is with a big law firm. This one's not going to move as fast as opposed to a, a, another credit union lender with a law firm where they're known to move pretty quickly. Yeah. So what about option four, complete the foreclosure of the second mortgage first and then pay off the first mortgage. And I think this is generally kind of a good option to go down. You weigh everything that's maybe worth a better option because like you're saying, the first can take a while and there's a good chance it can be a bunch of get to the foreclosure sale. And what I've seen with the ones we've handled as of late, not necessarily second first, is there's a lot of equity in property. There's a lot more third party bidders stepping in than there were five, ten years ago. So 
there's a chance that someone may step in and take this off your hands. If we can beat the first of the punch, get it to a foreclosure sale, and a third party steps in and you paid in full and you're done. That's the best case scenario. My, that's a win right there for creating an financial institution. I'm not saying that's always going to be the case. Don't just think because, hey, if we go ahead and file and get quick, party will buy us out. We'll be nice. No guarantees is what happened in any case, but it does happen. I think it's when you're weighing your options. Yeah. And I know that, you know, a lot of times when we look at this with clients, option four is really the way to go. But like I said, along the way, there's other considerations that have to be taken. And ultimately, the credit union makes this decision. It's their business decision at the end of the day after they take in the legal advice and all the ups and downs of the various options. And then, of course, you have option five, which is, you know, we're just not going to foreclose. We're going to sue on the note. Yeah, obviously, this one makes sense when the property value is not maybe supportive. I think we also see this when, you know, maybe it's a small sec second mortgage, a small HELOC loan, you know, $5,000 owed on a HELOC and now it's in default. Do we really want to go through the foreclosure process for $5,000 or do we just want to get a judgment? Generally, so, getting just a judgment, obviously, it's a little quicker. Yeah, I think strong consideration is what that property is worth and what sort of condition. So that kind of leads me to the next question, which is kind of, you know, what is the due diligence that a lender should do before proceeding with foreclosure on a second mortgage? I think you need to take a look at the collateral, right? The property and see what is this worth? I'm not saying you got to go out and get a full blown appraisal, but maybe a broker's price opinion, maybe a Zillow a estimate or whatever those is out there. Drive by and just take a look at it yourself and see what you think and get an idea. Is the property in decent condition? Think it may be worth what we think it's worth. You certainly want to take those things into consideration. Take a look at what the first is. I try to get a rough idea on what they're of because that's going to determine what the property may be worth. We can determine the property's worth so much amount of money. Well, what's the first worth? We need to determine how much is going to be left in the second mortgage there for us to claim. So that is two big things. Mouth on the first. Yeah, this is, you know, really obviously should be done on any foreclosure, but, you know, in a second, it becomes more important because you have a first ahead of you. And like in the example I gave where it's 200,000, you know, you want some assurance that property value is worth more than 200,000. Otherwise, going forward with foreclosure or paying off the first doesn't get you anywhere. And you're better to go with option five and just sue on the balance owed. But, you know, right now with property values being high and real estate being stable, you know, the valuation is not as tricky. I remember back during, you know, the housing crisis, 09, 2010, where property values were dropping month by month. It felt like it was a moving target and Zillow wasn't always reliable. And of course, you know, a lot of clients didn't want to spend the money on drive-by appraisals, but even a drive-by appraisal doesn't get you in the home. You're basing it upon the outward condition of the home roughly matches the indoor condition. Yeah, who knows what's inside? We've seen that many a times, right? You open the door and, whoa, this isn't what we thought. But I do think, you know, going by and seeing the property, especially in Florida with the hurricanes we have, the storms we have, you know, you don't want to find out there's a blue roof on the blue tarp on the roof after you've spent the $200,000. It's taken a year. You, you, you want to know that up front. So, you know, going by the property, looking at it, whether it's you doing that yourself, the someone at the credit union doing that, or you're engaging a, a real estate agent, professional broker, or you're 
engaging, you know, some sort of uh, field uh, visit company. There's a lot of different options, but you want some idea what's, yeah. you know, does the house look vacant? Does the house look lived in? Does it look like the house is in generally being kept up or does it look like it's in disrepair? Yeah. All those things are going to impact how you approach the valuation. So or I think, even, you know, where's it located in the city? You know, kind of here, we have an area we thought real estate. Yeah. Or in an area where a lot of regentrification is going. I was talking to a client uh, yesterday about property they have in foreclosure. It's in a desired area, and this is over in Pensacola. And it's in a desired area of Pensacola where there's a lot of older homes and people are going in and, you know, rehabbing, rehabbing them and selling them. You know, they're able to flip homes. So, you know, this is in an area where, you know, the, the property values are high. They're running high. And so, you know, obviously that's great if you have, that isn't always the case. So I think one final question, and we get this as well when it comes to second mortgages is, you know, do the standard loss mitigation options, are they still available for a second mortgage loan like they are for a first? Yeah. I mean, the same options in place for a first, you have there for a second. You can do a loan modification, some sort of workout that changes the existing loan terms, you know, considerations that you would have for a first, I would say they're there for a second. You could potentially do it. I don't know if you go along with a deed, obviously it's their first mortgage out there, but like, you know, we talked through the process of half the first and stuff. So you have to take those into consideration. And, and if you want to pay out the first, all that could do a deed in certain and then the borrower, you know, generally always has the right to reinstate. It's a loan provision, whether you want to take it or not. So there's, yeah, I mean, a lot of these same options you see on a first. Yeah, the the one option that probably is a little bit different, and we don't see a lot, it can happen. We saw some of this during the housing crisis. But, you know, when you're talking about a short sale, usually the second in a short sale is not getting a very good option. If short sale is an option. Now, we don't see a lot of short sales now because, again, Real estate prices are up and values are up, but should we return to a time where the market is weak and values are dropping, short sales might come back. You know, back then we would see a lot of short sales where, you know, the second mortgage is taking a pretty big cut. They're getting something, but they're not getting a lot. Obviously, the first is in a much better position when it comes to a short sale. They're in a better position when it comes to all of these options a lot of times, but the options still exist and in the right scenario, they're there. And of course, we've helped our clients, you know, with all of these things over the years. You know, I think as we close out this discussion, what I hope the listeners, you know, get out of this and remember is that this can be a complicated area and that there are a lot of times is misunderstanding or confusion. And so, you know, you really do get, should consult with an attorney on this. I mean, a foreclosure is an expensive proposition to complete a foreclosure. It takes time. There's energy involved. And then, of course, the credit union gets the property back. That isn't the end of it. Now they become the real estate agent, right? They Or they've got to hire a real estate agent. So you want to make sure you do all your due diligence on the front. Don't get into it halfway and then decide, you know what, maybe we should have taken a different approach. So we want to make sure we're educating the, our clients, obviously, up front. I know you're available for questions. I'm available. So, you know, certainly if you're running into these things, feel free to reach out to Steve or myself or one of the other lawyers at our firm. So, Steve, with that, I want to go ahead and, and close out the show. I want to thank you for joining me today. Great topic. So, yeah, enjoyed it. Glad to have you on the show. And uh, 
For you listeners out there, if you found this helpful, please go ahead and like and subscribe to the podcast. That helps us a lot and encourages us to continue to produce this uh, content. So with that, I'll say goodbye and hope you'll join us next time on Banking on Credit Unions. Thanks for joining us this week on Banking on Credit Unions. Make sure to visit our website, www.svllaw.com forward slash podcast, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. When it comes to credit union law, the Sorensen Van Leuven Law Firm has you covered. Reach out to us at svllaw.com because every credit union deserves top legal representation. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode.